Good morning, friends. Um, so thankful for our church that uh, that loves God's word. You know, um, I'm so I'm so thankful to be at a church like this one where um, God's word is such a central part of not just the preaching uh, and the teaching, but even our songs. Our songs are so filled with um, scripture and um, based on scripture, and not just ideas and, and popular thoughts. So I, I'm so thankful that um, even our musicians, um, Eric and others, choose these so carefully and wisely. Um, let me just say, today is the last Sunday in the sermon series on Ruth. I'm kind of sad about that. I wished it was a longer book, but it isn't. It's a short story, right? As we have said before. And, um, and the short story comes to an end today. But I want to just let you know and remind you that it's really setting a stage for the bigger and better story. And the bigger and the better story is the coming of the Savior. And the coming of the Savior is the birth of Christ, the, the Lord of all, and we are about to enter into that season. So when Jeff and I were play, praying and thinking about Ruth, we were so thankful that the timing is good as it leads into Advent and as we await the true Savior, the true Redeemer of our souls, and that is Jesus. So I just thank God for His timing in, in using this book. I think I've shared this, Pastor Jeff has shared this, such a blessing to us as we preach these books and passages to see the depth and the riches of all of it. Um, let me... Um, let me just say this at the, at the outset since it's the last sermon on Ruth. You know, if you look at Ruth as a nice little story about marriage and about how God brings a couple together and, and uh, God is faithful to bring uh, a man into Ruth and Naomi's life, you're undervaluing the book of Ruth. There's so much good theology right under our noses that we could miss the fact that it isn't just about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. It's a story about God, right? Pastor Jeff has said this many times. It's really a story where God is working and God is the central figure and it's a story about the love of God. And so some of you may be sitting here coming this morning with lots of issues and concerns. I have them. Alabama lost last night. <laughs> the Astros won. I'm, uh, it was a bad night for me as Eric, Eric Wallace came and gave me a little pat on the shoulder. I said, I know. The Yankees are not my righteousness. <laughs> Alabama football is not my righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. I need to keep priority order. But no, seriously, we, we come with problems, right? And Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. So if you don't have trouble now, hear this, you will. You will have trouble. Jesus says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Such a beautiful, beautiful uh, a scripture, isn't it? Um, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's John 16.33 if you want to note that down. Um, what is this story about? It's about trouble. It's about despair. It's about sadness. It's about a loss of hope. It's about bleakness at the beginning. But then, the light of hope. 
the light of redemption. Think about this. A disheartening and woeful story about famine, death, barren wombs, widowhood. And then in the midst of that, we see providence, blessing, covenant faithfulness, loving kindness, and loyalty displayed through the lives of God's people and by the main character, the Lord Himself. But this is the world, the harsh world that we live in, in which the Lord is at work and makes good on His covenant promises. So can you hear that before we pray? This is the harsh reality of the world we live in because if you don't have trouble now, it will come. But He has overcome the world and the Lord is at work. God is always at work for our good and His glory and makes good on His covenant promises. So at the beginning, before I do pray, I want to actually give you a a story, an illustration to think about, and then we'll pray. But it comes out of a, a passage in 1 Samuel. So I'm going to start with this verse instead of Ruth. But I want you to hear this. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 30. Verse 30. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. This last section of Ruth 4 is about that. It's about someone who honored the Lord and the Lord kept His covenant promises. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters who can hear me today, God is going to be faithful to you if you love Him if you submit to Him, if you obey Him, He is absolutely going to be faithful to you in your circumstance, in your hardship, in your problem, in your future stuff until He blesses you. So let's be like Jacob who says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He is going to bless you because it's about hope. All right, the story. One of my favorite, um, one of my very, very favorite uh, movies based on a true story um, since I was a young boy, because I believe it came out in the 80s, is a movie called Chariots of Fire. You ever remember that or seen that story? Um, wonderful little story. And two lives are contrasted. One of a man named Harold Abrams and the other of a man named Eric Little. You know the story maybe perhaps that he was a famous Olympian in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. But Harold Abrams um, lived for his own glory and was daunted by his success and happiness and finding joy and all of that. And then the story contrasts the two lives where Little actually lived for God's glory, ended up being a missionary in China, passed away there. Um, His life was short. Abrams' life was long, but the two lives are contrasted in the movie. But here's a scene that I always love. You can Google it. You can YouTube it later on. Maybe watch it as a family. Talk about it. It's just a short little clip. But there's a scene where Eric is running the race, his last race. He's already run two races, and he's going at the starting line to each of the other runners, several of them Americans, and actually wishes them luck. And they're looking around at each other, like, what is this guy doing, you know? Um, And then 
just before he gets set, another American runner who is not running, his name is Jackson Schultz, comes up to him and, and hands him a piece of paper and then walks away. And Eric opens it up and it says just this verse. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. In the old book, Mr. Little, it says, He who honors me, I will honor. The story is about Little keeping his conviction from his Scottish heritage that the Lord's day is the Lord's day and he's not going to do things even for king or country, but he's going to keep true to his own conviction. And this man comes up to him and just gives him that verse and then Eric just quickly looks back and smiles at him and that's all it says. He says, in the old book it says, he who honors me, I will honor. That is a promise to us. Are you honoring Him? Are you honoring Him with your lives, with your money, with your time? Are you honoring Him based on what you know to be true of God's Word? And this story is exemplifying that, so we'll jump into it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this passage. Thank You for the last section. Um, Lord, I thank You that it is actually a short story that's leading to a long story and a greater story and a more beautiful and robust story, the story of a true king who will redeem us from all our worries and anxieties and provide for us until the end of the world and for all of eternity. Lord, we love you and we thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have such short time on Sundays, but I do pray that these are just diving boards for you to delve in further into God's Word and talk at home maybe during family worship and so forth. We'll talk about family worship more as we go into Advent. We're, we're ordering some devotionals for you guys to do with children, your children at home or with your spouses or friends, small groups, whatever. But I hope that this is just a diving board. Let me give you some points for my own sake. The first is two redeemers, which Pastor Jeff began to speak about last week. But that's my first point, two redeemers. Second point is two problems. My third point is one solution. And my fourth is some key takeaways for us to apply. Okay, so two redeemers, two problems, one solution, and some key takeaways for us to apply. So let me, let me just jump in here um, for, for the sake of our, uh, our, our time together. The two redeemers. What's going on here? Uh, Pastor Jeff spent a good amount of time on this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but basically we see a closer kinsman redeemer in the earlier part of chapter 4. And then we see Boaz. And Ruth actually asks Boaz to redeem him, her, and Naomi. But then Boaz brings this idea, but there's actually someone closer. A closer Goel, which is the Hebrew term for kinsman redeemer. There's, it's his right. And so we see that there is a difference between these two men. One, again, in contrast of two lives, is focused on himself. This other redeemer who, as Jeff pointed out, is unnamed. There is a reason why the narrator, the writer, is leaving him unnamed because he's actually unworthy of being named. And the other one is Boaz. So what's going on? So when, when, um, 
Boaz comes to the gate where the elders meet and he gathers his assembly and the other Goel happens to be coming by. Yeah, right? Like it's just by chance. No, he's there because God had uh, appointed that conversation to happen. There's a dialogue. This is what happens. When Boaz says Naomi was selling a piece of land, he means that she's selling the use of that land and it would be done until the year of Jubilee. So her land is going to be sold for use until the year of Jubilee when it should come back to her, technically. But the problem is that the land has no owner and will not pass on because what? Naomi has no relative to pass the land to. And so if this unnamed redeemer purchases the use of the land, and if during the time that he is using it, Naomi dies... What happens to that land? That man would inherit the land for himself. And this is a good deal, right? It's a good deal for the Redeemer who only really cares about himself. If Naomi dies during that time, she has no one to pass it on to and he gets it. He wanted the land for sure. And that's why he was willing to do it until Boaz says, by the way, there is a widow in the picture and you must marry her. So he wanted the land but didn't care about continuing Elimelech's name, Naomi's husband, throughout the generations. So he was willing to redeem the land but not the widows. To redeem the land meant that you can make money off of it and so it would be profitable to you in some way. It's personal gain, right? But to redeem the widows meant that it would cost something. And Boaz actually cares more for the welfare of these women than he does about money or making money or any of that. And he wants to make sure that this Redeemer, if he chooses to redeem, will marry Ruth and care for them. Do you see the difference? My title is... I purposely put it for the younger folks here who use Twitter or whatever. You know, you see a lot of Twitter handles with the the real Donald Trump or the real whatever, almost to say there might be a bunch of these out there, but this is the real one. Well, these two redeemers here, which one's the real one? Who is the true one? Who is the one who actually is ready and willing and caring and able to redeem. It's Boaz. It's not the other redeemer, right? So Boaz was concerned with Naomi and Ruth, and the unnamed redeemer only truly cared about his own welfare. So right at the outset, can I ask you this applicational question? How about you? How about us? Do you think about yourself first, or do you think of others first? You know, when Gabe was doing uh, the Affirmation of faith, he read from Philippians chapter 1, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. We should look to the interests of others and not just of ourselves. That is the call of a believer. That is what it means to follow Jesus. That is what it means to truly be a Christian, is that when we come across others, we think about their needs and their concerns and put their interests ahead of ours. That's the true Goel. That's who Boaz was. 
You know what it's like for me? Sometimes I do the math in my head before helping or caring for other people's needs. I probably was like that more when I was a teenager and a young person. But as the Lord has been working on my heart, I start thinking, yes, I don't need to do the math. God's in the picture. I don't have to just think about my welfare. I can care about others and put others before me first. That's what it means to be Jesus' disciple. Otherwise, it's not the way of the true redeemer, the true believer. Do you realize that this one, as Jeff pointed out, this other redeemer goes unnamed? And actually, his name gets taken or removed from the town records. But whose name remains? Boaz's name remains. His motive is so clear. Redemption at a cost. And Boaz, as, as I've pointed out before, is such a beautiful picture of the ultimate Redeemer for us. Do you realize that? You know that, but I want you to take this in. This story is in here on purpose before the time of the kings when things were chaotic and when people did what was right in their own eyes and they needed a true king and it buttresses in the canon to the time of the kings and ultimately it says that David is going to come, the greatest king of all Israel. But what's even better than that? The ultimate king, the true king, who is Jesus himself, who will do redemption at any cost. The greatest cost. The Son of God. The most holy, blameless, sinless one who gave up His life on the cross. That is redemption at a cost where He gives up His life for us in obedience to His Father. I use Luke 17.33 as my reflection verse, but I want to point this out to you so you'll hear it again. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Will your name endure? I want you to think about that. Will your name endure? Or will you go unnamed because you did not honor the Lord? You did not love the Lord. You did not love His people. This is the difference between these two. Okay, two main problems. And so, I'm going to try to go through this fairly quickly. Do you realize that in this story that's unfolding, it's mostly about these characters, right? We don't see a lot of action from the Lord, from God. But there are two things He does because there's two problems in the story. The first is there's a famine, there's no food. There's no seed. And the second is there's no seed, human seed. There's no child. Ruth, as we understand this story, is part of this family. Both sons die. Orpah has no children and Ruth has no children. You see that? There's childless, childlessness going on in this story. For however long they were married, maybe it was the 10 years, there's no seed. There's no human seed to carry on this family's line, which was so important at that time. And what happens? Well, let me now jump into the story, particularly 
at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went, went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. I'm going to come back to that. Then you see some poignant words by the women. Do you remember the women of the neighborhood, of the village, of the town, of Ephrata, of Beth- Bethlehem? Remember when Ruth first came and they're like, isn't that Naomi? Isn't, or isn't it you, Naomi? And what did she say? Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because I am bitter. I have bitterness. I am empty. I've come back empty. The Lord has done this in my life and taken all this stuff away. But notice here at the end of the book, the women show up again. And listen to what they say. The women said to Naomi, this is her friends, her neighbors, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. Speaking of Boaz. And then, in some ways, the, the, narr- the narrative shifts. Um, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And now she's really kind of hinting at the, the true Redeemer for Naomi, which is going to be this child. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So they are giving a little hint to the last part of the story, which is the genealogy, which seems pretty boring. But it's not going to be boring. It has a purpose. So in this two problems, what's going on? There's no food. People are going to die. There's a famine. And so, what does it say? They heard that there was Ruth 1.6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. The Lord is being merciful. The two problems, right? Right? No physical, literal plant seed and no human seed. And the Lord takes care of the one because she shows up in Ephrata at the time of the barley harvest. There is food and God has visited His people. And then at the end of the story, the Lord has visited His people again. Because what happens? The Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Almost immediately, the Lord opens up her womb. As soon as Boaz marries her and she becomes pregnant and she gives birth to a son, the heir, the hope of the future, the actual redeemer for Naomi, Elimelech, and their line. One solution. Two problems, one solution. Brothers and sisters who hear me, I want to tell you something. Stop striving to make everything good in your life. You can't do it. All the planning, all the money, all the staying up late, it is the Lord who blesses His people. It is the Lord who opens up the womb. It is the Lord who opens up the storehouses. It is the Lord who gives us food. It is the Lord who gives us health. It is the Lord's doing. I love that old way of putting it. The Lord visited His people and gave them food. And here, the Lord 
opens up her womb and she conceives and she bears a son. Do you see what I'm getting at here? It is the Lord's doing. It isn't because Boaz just happened to decide to marry her. This barren woman who could not have children all these years gets married and almost immediately conceives because the Lord is doing something. I want to read to you a passage that came to my heart just last night. I had my old King James Bible sitting in front of me. I don't know why. I haven't opened that in a long time. But I had it, and there is a, there is a, a passage that came to my mind, so I actually read it out of the King James yesterday. It was good. It was a good remembrance to me, but I'm going to read it out of the ESV for you today. Let me read this. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Do you have a problem in your life? There's one solution. It is the Lord Himself. It is God Himself. It is the person of His Son. And hear it again. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Do you know how you get your children? Not because you've strived, but He provides it freely, easily. It's not something that we make happen. It's something that the Lord does. And that is a, a picture of the importance of recognizing that this is all God's work. It is all the Lord's doing. The Lord is the one who, who, um, who answers their need for food and their need for a child. Some key takeaways for us to apply. I want to get to this so that I don't miss it. Listen, what's happening in the story? A lot of trouble and heartache and sadness and all of this despair and sorrow, right? But here are some takeaways that I want you to think about. Perhaps apply. Maybe take it further in your own home from this story. The Lord often takes things away from us. Do you hear me? The Lord often takes things away from us and empties us even through difficulty and suffering in order to fill us with what matters. In order to fill us with more of Himself and to show us our need of Him more than anything else. Do you grumble when something's taken away? I do. Do you worry? Sometimes the Lord takes something that you really, 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 really 
spend all your time thinking about and worrying about, sometimes He takes it away. And sometimes we suffer in order to fill us with what is more important and more valuable and more lasting with more of Himself to show us our need of Him more than anything else. So don't despair. Remember what I said at the beginning? God is at work. He is. He is at work. He knows what He's doing. His plans are perfect. Secondly, when trials and difficulties and sadnesses come, cling to the Lord. When sadnesses and difficulties and trials come, cling to the Lord. He is sovereign and His plans and ways are perfect even if it doesn't look or feel like it. So do you know what I want you to do? Cling through prayer. Private prayer, family prayer, corporate prayer. Cling through worship. Don't miss worship with God's people. When you're going through hard times, don't stay away until things get better. Cling to the Lord. Come be with His people. Be encouraged. Worship. Find the true joy of your life. Study His Word. And be in fellowship with one another. So when trials come, cling to the Lord. I want to read you, um, I want to read you something that, uh, that I think I shared in one of the earlier sermons, but I'll share it again. One of the greatest English poets and hymn writers was a man named William Cowper. You ever heard that name? He actually, with John Newton, produced a very famous hymnal called the Olney Hymns in 1779. And he wrote a hymn in 1774 called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And at first it was popular, and, and uh, even though his reverent and thoughtful understanding was put into that hymn, it was quickly lost because people began to misunderstand what he was trying to say by it. Cowper was not shrugging his shoulders in resignation, but he was expressing a Christian confidence. I want you to listen to this. His words should encourage believers troubled by tragedies or by great distresses. And this is what he says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Can I read that again? Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Our confidence is this. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. And those words define Christian truth and gospel courage in the face of many trials and difficulties and sadnesses in our lives. It may not always look good, you're probably going through some things right now that are hard and challenging, but behind it all, there is a smiling face. There is a smiling face who means everything for your good, and I mean that, and for His glory. He's never going to leave you abandoned. He is never going to leave you without. He's always going to provide for you, and not just for this life, but forever. Thirdly, He will bless and honor those who honor Him. That's why I 
had that verse for you earlier, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Boaz's name will endure. Listen, I want you to um, look at this story again. It ends with verse 17, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Which, by the way, do you know what Obed means? It means worker. Because you know what Obed is going to do as the ultimate and true redeemer for Naomi? He is going to work to restore sweetness to Naomi's life. Through the life of Obed, he is going to do more than duty because that's how his mother showed and exemplified in her life. It's not just a duty to take care of Naomi, it's love. And so Obed's life is going to be filled with working to restore sweetness to Naomi's life. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And that is just for us to kind of have a little transition into the last couple of verses, which is the genealogy. Why does the writer end with the genealogy? Couldn't there have been a better climax to the book of Ruth? The genealogy. You know, you read Matthew 1 and you go through all the genealogies, right? Matthew chapter 1. Right at the beginning, it's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Well, the whole purpose here is to show that Boaz's name will remain because God has placed a stamp of approval on him and his family because he honors those who honor him. Now, when I was first getting into the sermon series and reading this again, I was thinking, okay, so Elimelech's name's going to appear in the genealogy because Boaz is clearly sacrificing so Elimelech's line and name will not be taken out of the town records so that the plot of land will not be lost to the family so really, it should be Elimelech, Obed, Jesse, David. Really, you'd kind of think Boaz is not going to be mentioned, but what does God do? His name remains. Look at Matthew chapter 1. <laughs> the passage ends with these words. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. From whom the Lord Jesus Christ was born. God is doing something then and now, for our good and His glory. And those who honor Him, He will honor. One of us in our church should name a kid Boaz, all right? Somewhere. We've got to get that name in the, in the church family somewhere. <laughs> what a great story. What a great example. What a great figure to show us Christ. My brothers and sisters, my, my time has ended, but... Let me, let me ask you this. Do you realize why there was a famine? Do you realize why did God empty Naomi? 
Do you realize why did God bring this family back to Bethlehem, the house of bread? As Jeff pointed out at the beginning, why did Ruth just happen to show up in the field of Boaz? Why did the nearer kinsman redeemer fail to save this family as God had wanted and prescribed? Why was Boaz willing? Matthew 6.33 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. That is ours to claim. Put God first. Seek Him first. And all these other things that you need will be given to you as well. Why was Boaz willing? Why did all these things happen? Because God was doing a great work of redemption and unfolding an even greater plan to bring the ultimate Redeemer, King Jesus, into the world. I think Pastor Jeff pointed this out. Four women's names are mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Mary. Tamar poses a harlot. Rahab, who was a harlot. Ruth was a foreigner from the cursed land of Moab. And Mary, an unwed mother, all to create the perfect Redeemer. Is God at work? Is God at work? Okay, here's a harder one. In your life, You can count on it. Ruth isn't just a short story. It's to show us that God cares so much more than just Ruth and Naomi, but for all of Israel and for us today. Don't doubt His care and provision for you. Our names will endure. Our names will endure because the Lord loves us. I'm going to read to you just the words of the hymn as I close. William Cowper's hymn, you know, the one that started off popular and then fell off of popularity. Here are these words. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. All right, I have final question. Is he worthy? Yeah, amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for just showing us the beauty that is underneath the pages. Lord, um, we are indebted to you for your love for us who are outsiders. Thank you for not forgetting us. Thank you for not abandoning us, but for causing us to endure. Through your Son, our Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.